Clay, as we get into the Enar here, which is our current episode of Star Trek Enterprise, I have to ask you, mm. would you, if you were working for somebody and they started to talk about their, I guess the, the point here is like, if you were working for somebody and they said that they were a U.S. senator a couple of years ago, would you go, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> would you and if and if not only if he was a US senator if he said I proposed uh I created the Patriot Act or something would you go wow I I had no idea I this is a long way of going I found the uh, the attempt to to flesh out the Romulan backstory here a little bit strange where the character is explaining yeah. that he's an he was a former senator who questioned the idea that the Romulans should be expanding as an empire and conquering places. And he got thrown out of the Senate, excommunicated. And his underling goes, geez, I had no idea, Bob. I had no idea. I had no idea that's what you went up to. I just got assigned here the other week. I hadn't done any background research on you. I thought it was strange. Well, add on top of that the fact that he's an admiral. So yep. he got thrown out of the Senate and ended up as an admiral in the military. Went back to military. Uh, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if that's a demotion or a lateral move or like uh, being reassigned to a different diocese. I don't know really what that stands for. Uh, no, it's um, the equivalent of. <laughs> but yeah, you would think I don't know because I mean, like I, if I if I was working a job and my boss said, you know, I used to be a senator and I created the Patriot Act, I would say. I did not know that because I didn't follow politics that closely. <laughs> I, I don't recognize your name. <laughs> um, My name is Liz Warren. Yeah, it's He'd the, be like, I'd never heard of you before. This yeah. is interesting. It just, it was. Um, I would look at, I would look at, <laughs> I'd look at the bartender and say, "Cut this man off." <laughs> I think there's, there's a small part of this episode, but I feel that that's uh, one of the more. It's a it's a part that feeds into um, a lot of things that are going on in this episode. It's a small example. But again, as I said, we're going to be talking about the Enar, which I pronounced incorrectly mm-hmm. last time because A and E always together is E. I should have known that from Tools Enema. That makes sense. The Enar is the 14th episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Enterprise. It came out on February 11th, 2005. Three of three. Which... That gets very confusing when you're surfing through cha- uh, cable channels and you're like, it's on E. Well, then you put on E and it's, well, no, that's where who True Hollywood Story is. You want A and E. It's like, well, it's pronounced oh. E. So it gets very confusing. <laughs> you know, the, keeping up with the Kardashians is not on A and E. I mean, this, maybe it is. I don't know. This bit would have killed 10 years ago if this podcast was that we still <clears> had yeah, cable Yeah, does A and E even exist anymore? <laughs> <laughs> and you're flipping channels. <laughs> <laughs> don't you hate it? We're at home late at night. You're flipping channels, and you got Latin on the brain, and they say it's John Channel E, and it's like, wait a minute. Do you mean E, True Hollywood Story E, or A and E? I was listening to the the baseball Hello? on the radio the other day, Clay, this and the, tra- the traveling team came in. They were they're from they're from Pawtucket or something. It's just this is a different time. <laughs> Romulan interference arc three of three is this one. Teleplay to Andre Bormanis, which is a name who's been there from the start, but I don't remember reading his name recently. Story to Mandy Cotto. Directed by Mike Vehar in Universe Date. It's November 2154. I hope they had a good Thanksgiving. In this episode, Archer <laughs> visits Strand's icy homeworld to find the Andorian subspecies called the Enar to determine their connection to the Marauders. Marauders 
to the marauder ships destroying okay to the marauders destroying ships oh destroying ships in the region got it let me do that again archer visits trans icy homeworld to find an andorian subspecies called the enar to determine their connection to the marauders destroying other ships in the region part three of three so this is the weirdest episode of enterprise that i completely understand on all levels what's going on in it but i have no idea why this episode is the way that it is what say you yeah I, uh, kind of coming off of what we said last episode, I don't know why this is the third part of a three-part series, because the first two parts seem to have a pretty clear through line as to what they had to do with each other, and this one very much does not. I mean, it's all the same characters and stuff, but like... There's no Tellarites. They, the Tellarites just disappear. <clears throat> no, there's no Tellarites. Yeah. No Vulcans, It's, it's really. just a... You no know, Vulcans. It's, uh, you know, there's not really that much movement on the andorian and human front i mean shran gets impaled by what i can only say is is a very classy looking glass dildo yeah beautiful uh, you know how remember <laughs> know how they say in the civil war people got the the, the bullet wounds got more infected because the bullets were duller and slower so it like mm. tore through clothes and it got cl- if that was the case this thing should have been infected so badly because that icicle that he got impaled with had the dullest rounded <laughs> dildo tip I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how that could go through his leg. Well, um, but he yeah, so- I, I he sold it through the incredible tumble that starts off his fall, which was yes, maybe my favorite yeah. stunt work ever. <laughs> right down the icy. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just uh, I'm not really sure. Like, it's a fine episode, I guess, but I'm not really sure why they needed to do three episodes in this arc. It's not like this is really kind of a superfluous episode. Yeah, it it is down to, to come back to the Romulans. What I thought was funny about it is that, all right, so the, the human Andorian Tellarite and Vulcan Alliance have stopped our drone ship. What if we had two drone ships? (laughs) It's like, okay, (laughs) I guess. Why don't you have 50 of these fucking things and then you can go conquer the universe and you'll call it a day at that point. But they only have one. Also, uh, was the drone, I feel like there was a little bit of heavy-handed social commentary involving the drones at the beginning where uh, Trip is like, you're telling me that you can fly a ship, an unmanned ship over somewhere and just kill people from the safety of your own home? Yeah. Man. That's cold. <laughs> Ice cold. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of any anytime you're talking about drones, I guess that's going to be the uh, th- like that that's kind of another thing about enterprise, right? Like they're clearly talking about drones. Like drones are in the news. They're like we can have a starship drone. That's how the Romulans will get around the fact that they can't be out there and seen by anybody is that we'll have them piloting ships that they will be nowhere near and that'll be the thing typical enterprise fashion it doesn't really have anything to say about the ethics of drone warfare it's just it's just something that they're they're doing in it but like the the romulans i think the the big thing that this one does feeling so superfluous and almost as if they were like oh no we have to write another episode where do we stick one in we'll stick one in at the end of this arc the romulan plot ceases to make much sense at this point i think where they are just yeah. continuing to go on they'll create another drone ship then they'll have another one so they'll have two the explanation of the backstory of what's going on here the underling being stuck in a position where they have to explain 
through dialogue who the Enar is that they've captured. So the un- Romulan underling seems to care about him in a way that makes no sense for the Romulans. He's like, it'll kill him. You can't kill him. He's like, let him do what he wants. He's like, he's like, I, I thought this was all about the mission for you. And he says, he says, well, if he dies, no one can pilot the drones. So that leads you to think, why did they kidnap one Enar? Why not? Why not kidnap a whole bunch of these yeah. motherfuckers and just and have them pilot all your drones for you and stuff? So, the the, the longer question. they struck, was it, go ahead. I was just gonna say, did they did they have the drone and then kidnap one Enar, or did they kidnap one Enar and then build the drone? Build it's the drone the around the him. egg situation. Like, did they just did Brian Thompson kidnap that guy and go? I don't know. I don't. I just grabbed him. I don't. I don't know what to do with him. Maybe we could figure out what to do with him. <laughs> build the technology around him. I don't know. <clears throat> Why is telepathy necessary for this at all? Really, it's it seems a weird. Kink. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't the, know. The same reason telepathy is necessary to drive the mechs in uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah, you got to be telepathic with the other the other drivers so you can both do the dance dance revolution moves to punch the monster yeah it's, I, I just don't think it's i don't think it's super necessary it's, it's a, a weird episode it's a weird episode it, it's completely yeah. not necessary and they make the interesting choice to have the enar be an andorian subspecies but i don't think you really learn anything about anybody and like i don't think the andorians get fleshed out i don't think the enar were necessary to be a subspecies of andorian like you'd think in making that choice you're going to learn something about the Andorians, but they get to Andoria. They don't see another goddamn Andorian anywhere in the place. They just walk around in the snow until they find an Enar mm-hmm. person. It's really weird. Yep. It's really strange. Yeah, and then the the Enar. I I know I now know more about the Enar homeworld than I do Andoria. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, well, they live nice, on the same planet, their region or whatever. Yeah, they live in. The well, North yeah, I, I know that, but I mean, like, I I don't know what Andor downtown Andorra oh, looks sure. like, but yeah. the downtown uh, Enarville seems to be very fashionable and kind of hip. Yeah. They got those kind of like pod places everybody lives in and stuff. It looks very cool. It's summertime. Never seen the sun though. Yeah, no. never seen the sun. Very cold. What do you think? I kind of wish. Oh, well, I was say I wish they had brought that girl onto the ship after she's like, "Oh, it's warm. I can't. I've never been warm." And then she, they bring her onto the ship, and she does the same thing I do every time I go somewhere tropical, where I'm like, you know, I could do without this. Honestly, I, I know it's January in Boston, <laughs> but I could do I could do this for like a day or two at most, and then I think, you know, I've had enough. Well, I don't. I don't under they. It was a little strange to me that they are so interested in the heat, which is kind of a unique spin because normally the species cares only for what they're used for, used to, so they would like the cold. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it just it struck me as if the Andorians were not really prepared for the cold because when they send Shran back home, he's just wearing Archer's jacket. He's wearing like one of Archer's mm-hmm. coats to go back. Well, his back ship home. got blown up, so yeah, I guess he doesn't. His have ship his got blown box. up. Yeah. you think of? Um, the Enar as a species or as a reason to be in this episode? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess they're as good as anything else. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't really know what the purpose here is. As Like, it's not really, it's world building in that it adds a new species to the, to the larger world but it's not like 
doing anything particular with them. Like, Shran doesn't learn anything from the Enar, really. Uh, I mean, I guess they kind of commiserate over the loss of a loved one, but whatever. But, like, you know, it's just, it's, I don't know. It, it seems like, uh, I think I think uh, Jeffrey Combs is, is doing a lot of heavy lifting to make the um, Andorian-Enar relationship interesting or, or matter at all. Um, well, because th- they should have conflict between them because the Andorians are a paranoid warlike or war like militaristic group because Shran is part of their Imperial Guard or whatever they call it. The Enar are blind pacifists who refuse to fight and refuse to do things. But it, it's really only given passing comments on. Like it, it, it right, sticks out right. as a minor inconvenience where the girl can't leave immediately because the elder appears as a vision and is like, you can't go fight their wars for them. And she says, but I want to. She says, well, okay, if I can read your mind and see that you really want to go, I guess I can't stop you from going. The elder, the elder who appears in a vision to the blind girl. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. They, like, their blindness is, they're pretty effective blind people. Really, they they do a good job of getting around and uh, not seeming particularly blind. It's really just an excuse to have their eyeballs match the general hue of their skin. I, I think. wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if that girl was actually blind because she had. I couldn't. She had kind of that look to her eyes that indicated maybe she actually was blind, but probably mm. not. Oh, the the actress you're talking about, the actual actress. Yeah, the actress. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I I mean. I, I'm just kind of surprised, and I guess it can go into this segment here. Like, how would you characterize Shran? If you had to describe Shran in a couple sentences, how would you describe him? Um, angry and suspicious with a uh, short temper. What drives um, him? What's his like? What what makes him tick? That's a good question. Uh, love of country, I guess. <laughs> I, love of his bosses. He seems to be, yeah. He seems to be. He seems to be driven by his own paranoia. Honestly, like most of any time he shows up, it's usually the driving point of his story is that he doesn't trust a different race. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's there to he's there to make sure that no wrongs are being going to be done to Endori or whatever. Because I see a I just see a lot of um, commentary and feedback that Tran is Combs's best Star Trek character, and I mm-hmm. I really don't understand it because I think he's virtually a nothing as a character. I think Combs is I even think Combs's performance is just mostly fine. Like he's he's doing the best he can mm-hmm. with this fairly generic character that. They keep trying, like they do in this episode, to make it seem like he has a like a fleshed out personality. So th- what they do is that they're like, "Oh, Shran is so volatile and angry," but let's see that he actually has a tender side to him too. Here, he'll meet somebody that he's not completely a jerk to, and he has some sympathy for. And you go, okay, but the goal of writing is not to just make incredibly well-rounded characters. You know, is to have like everyone is just like fully developed as a a person where you have likes and and dislikes and stuff. 
Shran really suffers to me that he has no point of view about things. He, like he only distrusts other alien species. It's not that he has a personal motivation that ever comes through or is like the guiding light of how Shran is going to act in the way that you can expect someone like Worf to act or some other character that you you know what they are. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. I I don't I don't think he's a very good character because he doesn't have if you were to stick a <clears throat> if someone were to say you have to write a Star Trek Enterprise episode and Shran has to feature in it I don't feel that gives you any help in what the episode is supposed to be about or where you can go with what mm-hmm. a Shran episode would be about and we've had four seasons of him. Yeah, I think the thing with Shran is Shran is kind of the Andorians more or less take the place of the Klingons, right? Um, they're not as not as intense, but they have the same sort of uh, reluctant. Um, it's like a violent honor culture. Yeah, violent honor culture with a reluctant working relationship with the humans. Yep. The difference is, I don't feel like I've learned anything about the Andorians through Shran. Uh, I think he, I think Shran fills that role well, and I think Jeffrey Combs plays. I actually really like him when he's on the screen. I think he's a, it's a really fun performance because I think you can tell he's having fun chewing the scenery. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think with the Klingons, you get more of a feel f- through. The Klingons you you are encountering, you get more of a feel what their culture is and what their point of view is. Yeah. But Shran, Shran has a standoffishness, but I don't feel like I've learned much about Andoria or what they're about or why they operate the way they do or what he's about over four seasons other than he's just kind of like distrustful of other other species. Yeah, they, they feel like a poor man's Klingon to me. And yeah. They're they're that way by just having sort of vague attributes attached to them as the need be. Like we, I don't think we'd ever known that they were an honor culture before this last episode where Shran is like, "You have to fight me based on our Endorian honor culture system." Right, right. They yeah. just they invented that because they needed a reason to have a fight. Yeah, I yeah. just <clears throat> with the it, go ahead. I was just gonna say with the Klingons, the Klingons you you get. You learn about the you learn about the Klingon culture because you see how the the cultures are different when they clash between the, the humans and the Klingons. You don't get that with the Andorians. You get you only get it through like plot required stuff like this honor fighting and stuff like that. You never get like the problem of the problem of the episode is that the Klingon culture and the human culture. I mean, or the Andorian culture and the human culture are clashing in a way that creates the drama of the episode and lets you learn things about, you know, both both cultures. You don't get that with the Andorians, you uh, the way that you used to with the Klingons, I think. Yeah. I think it's an enterprise-wide problem. I just don't think they're very yeah. good at defining the species in some ways. Like the the only one that they've done somewhat effectively have been the Klingons because they know what they're supposed to do with them. I think they've mm-hmm. they botched the Vulcans they don't really have anything to do with the Andorians. And it was, as we talked about in the previous Tellarite episode, the Tellarites don't have a strong enough... It's just that they argue, but that's their only tick. It's, and they don't even really do anything with the fact that that's the only tick of the species, you know, because they don't 
argue in a way that makes things difficult for an alliance. They just insult each other. Um, I don't, I guess I would disagree. I don't really like the, I just feel Combs is doing generic thug guy here. And if I compare him to someone like Brunt in DS9 as the sort of like um, IRS version of Ferengi culture, which is like a really funny performance, or Wayun, which is subtle and slimy and full of um, like subtle meaning in what he's doing there and how that character acts. I don't think Shran does anything except kind of like growl at the camera and then be He's, nice to people occasionally. I think I think what makes him enjoyable, at least for me and probably for other people, is I think Shran is the most Jeffrey Combs character, if 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 that makes sense. Like I feel like you're you're seeing more of uh and maybe that's not a good thing cuz I I I feel like you're seeing more of Jeffrey Combs coming through where he is I Brunt I could take or leave I don't really care for Brunt mm-hmm. um but Wayun is a is a fully rounded character um that is a is a really great performance with Shran it's kind of like two kick two clicks less two clicks left of Herbert West reanimator kind of mm-hmm. you know where it's it's more it's more Jeffrey Combs than it is a character I think okay um and I and I think sometimes that can be it's like you know, you watch a movie with Bruce Campbell in it. You're coming to see Bruce Campbell. You don't you don't give a shit what character he's playing. You know, you're coming to see the Bruce Campbell thing. Sure. I think Jeffrey Combs is the same kind of guy. Right. I, I guess is the argument there that Combs and his performance <coughs> is is almost like quote unquote too good for Enterprise. Therefore, it makes it seem like it's a transcendent performance. I just don't. I don't. I don't find. I think if Shran was in DS Nine he wouldn't be a very memorable character because he would be blocked mm-hmm. out by other memorable characters who are on the show. Um, here, everyone is kind of operating on that low baseline of, of energy. Yeah. Well, it, I think I think he stands out on this show because he's the only person who has like an ulterior motive. I don't even know if that's not even the right way to say it. He's like more like, I would say he's more like Garrick in in places than he is anybody else and i nobody else on this show really has that element to it where there's a little bit of can you trust this guy and so i think i think he stands out on this show because he is um kind of really one of the only real morally gray characters even though he becomes an ally i think there is that element of it could go either way with him and that's what makes him stand out yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I would just say that I don't find him morally gray as much as he's written into situations where he will. Well, I, I guess to be defined as morally gray, I would need to understand what Shran's ethics system is. And I don't think I can define sure. that based on what he is. I know that they'll put him into situations where he is, he is fighting for Andoria and then once he makes friends with Archer, there's a little bit of, well, I can't completely go for Andoria because I have to help my friend out too. So there's a little bit of like a a back and forth there where he will Yeah. He will lessen his intensity as the need be in order to get along mm-hmm. with people. But I've never seen Shran make a decision where I'm like, 
wow, that was cold. He did a horrible thing there, and then it flip-flopped sure. to yeah. he's well, not actually show, all that bad. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, the show never goes there with most mm. of the characters to, to the point where... But, like, you know, he's the character where in this arc... Um, he's going to make the decision that's that he thinks is best for Andoria, regardless of what else is going on. So he's gonna he's gonna pull the, he's gonna break out of his cell and go down to try and interrogate the Tellarites, even though it's could take the whole ship down or whatever. And then after that, he's the one who's going to chat. You know, he's he's kind of a, he's a little bit of a loose cannon in some in some aspects. And I don't think yep. the show has many of those. So I think mm-hmm. that's why he stands out. Because I, I guess morally gray wasn't really the right phrase because I don't really think he's morally gray because he he never he's not really ever done anything bad bad yeah like you were saying but I think I think it's just more of he has the loose cannon potential that really nobody else in the show has sure yeah because you're dealing with the Vulcans on one hand who should be restrained and then the humans are uh the humans that we're familiar with on this series yeah I just um I I watched this one and it, it felt to me a big problem with this because of how pointless everything feels is that it really felt in a lot of situations that this was a canon connecting episode of the show where they want to make some connections. They want to, there's a note here that they had to they wanted to show that Andoria is a moon because Andor, the planet, has already been mentioned in the franchise and there was confusion about whether the Andorians were from Andor. And so they made the moon this Andoria is the moon of Andor. And it's like, I guess. I, I don't not, know if this is time well spent kind of thing. But not the forest. It's the ice moon of Andor, not the forest moon of Andor. Where the Correct. Ewoks it's live. an A A E too. It's and yes. Andor. <laughs> it's it's that kind of thing like i don't think they wasted a lot of time it's not like archer was staring at the view screen going i can't believe andoria is a moon that I, that goes around yeah. the planet andor that's a crazy thing but it just it feels like going back there was only done to show that fact you know because the the enar don't interest me enough to go back otherwise that's like why not make them just a random species that you could go why do they have to be related to the Andorians, I guess? Because you neither learn anything yeah. about Shran nor any other aspect well, to it and just do something new. I think it needs to be related to the Andorians so the, the cliffhanger from the last episode works. Because, I mean, if you go the end of the last episode and you take <clears throat> take that helmet off and it's some species that nobody recognizes, then you don't really have much of a hook to get you into the next episode. That's correct. Um, but I, I don't think that strengthens this episode at all like i i understand what you're oh, saying oh no yeah, no yeah. i i think that's why they do it though i think yeah, that's yeah. i i i don't think because i i don't think this episode is a canon connector i mean i didn't know that about the moon so mm-hmm. you know does that means nothing to me so but right. as, so aside from that i didn't i didn't feel like this was much of a canon connector at all because I, I was expecting much more because of the last two episodes because we were we were speculating that this was going to end with like all of them putting in their Google calendars the date they were going to get together and start the Federation. Like, I expected the Vulcans to show up in this in some uh, some aspect to help out or whatever. Um, but none of that happened. It, this was just a completely superfluous episode off of the other two things that was just about Andorian ice telepaths. 
Yeah. And well, even the Ro- the Romulan stuff, we didn't really get much interesting out of that, like you were saying, except that they had two of these ships, and I guess they ne- they decided to scrap that technology once they 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 lost that one ice guy who could. Yeah. Drive well, them. yeah. Once once the ice guy, there's only a handful of ice guys, so you have to be careful with them. I, I guess I mean. I guess my counter would be that to to have it be a continuity connecting episode, it does require you to be a familiar with the franchise in a way that you will recognize what they're doing, which I think is what the Andoria thing is one aspect. Mm-hmm. I, I see it in small details like we talked about the um the Romulan sort of fleshing out of their backstory. What his whole story about I pushed back on this idea that Romulan ideology is all about expansion. Mm. That to me felt like such a weird, simple, like all that was doing was showing that there's a canon connection there. Like there's no real reason for him to explain that story. It's just to explain this very loose idea they have that the Romulans are an empire bent on conquest. And that's kind of what I mean by the the Andoria as a moon thing. It's these small details Mm -hmm. that why is this, why are we wasting time here? Like I don't care about this guy's, uh, political disagreements with what the rest of the Romulans think because that has nothing to do with their plot in this episode. It has nothing. There's right. no, he's not pushing back on the idea of expansion through his drone mission. I don't know what he's trying to do through his drone mission, quite frankly. So it's just a superfluous detail that I don't, that those are the things that I notice in such a pointless, strange episode is, wow, they're really trying yeah. to jam trivia factoids down my throat at this point. Yeah, I think I mean I think they're doing that because the episode is light such a yeah, such a light I don't want to call it a nothing episode cuz it's it's fine. Like I didn't I didn't dislike it or anything, but it it's um I yeah, I I it I find that I find it interesting cuz they are such tiny details that I can't imagine them mattering to 90% of the people. Yep. meaning me yeah uh, um <laughs> or 50% of the people i guess i should say uh but like yeah it seems like they just need to an excuse to like what what are the romulans about here i don't really know let's, let's why is this guy not a part of the senate anymore as eh, make up something that fits into canon that doesn't bring it up, bring up any more questions other than his weird lateral demotion yeah um <laughs> what do you think of the wrong yeah. ones actually what do you think of their plot what do you think is going on here i have no fucking clue what what they're why he's doing this other than testing I, like i feel like they worked they used up all of their plot in the first two episodes where it's like oh we can't let them talk to each other okay well they're talking to each other i guess we blew it well May as well send two and try and yeah. cause some damage, I guess. I, I don't know. It's just, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't really connect with any of that stuff. It's a great opening to this episode. The thing you were supposed to do completely backfired. <laughs> what like, if we do, <laughs> fair? What if we do it double? How about this? Yeah. What if we do it twice? <laughs> the law of averages says that at least one of them has to work. Yeah, I mean, in the second episode, they hint at the Romulans are just trying to disrupt this federation from forming, which, as we talked mm-hmm. about in that episode, doesn't make a ton of sense because they're putting a lot of stock in these four bickering species doing something together. And 
if their if their conquest thing is a part of it, that would kind of imply that their plot is supposed to be a loosely dominion based idea where they want their enemies squabbling with each other so that they're easier to conquer as they come through. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you would think if that was the case, the that Romulan senator that keeps coming in and talking to them would kind of explain this point of view i don't i don't think he does i don't remember him explaining anything like that but it's just this they're just they're just kind of um they're just antagonists for the sake of being antagonists in this and that they have a kind of neat ship that can cause a threat to the enterprise and it's too bad i liked him in the second episode i thought they were completely superfluous here yeah yeah and like even even the the payoff at the end when they when they get into this battle it like it's the the best moment of the sh- the episode for me is kind of silly in and of itself because when they, their enterprise is flying along and then reads like we've picked up something on the scanner it seems to be a freighter and then archer's like hmm fire <laughs> and then they go to commercial like that that kind of like um uh what's the word um be not being sure of what it is because they, I guess they can't track the signature anymore. I don't remember. Yeah, I couldn't tell what it was, but <clears throat> it's kind of silly on its own. But I, I liked that moment of indecision about blowing up a ship, not knowing if it was. You know, they could have done more with that. Like that's an interesting story, especially if you're kind of going for this uh, another ham-fisted uh, Iraq or Afghanistan yeah, sure. war parallel. In- innocent. Well, I, that, that's the only way it works, right? Because <clears throat> as you're yeah. saying in this one. They're like, is that the sh- is that the enemy ship? And he's like, I can't tell. He's like, I need to know. You tell me if that's the enemy ship. If they fire and it's actually a <laughs> Sir, freighter, it's flying right at us. I think <laughs> it's firing. It's it's there's just nothing there. If they in the course of this trilogy do not accidentally destroy a friendly vessel, like the Enterprise does it by yeah. accident, you know, because right. th- that means something. But in the context of this, all it amounts to is thirty seconds of Archer furrowing his brow before going fire and then they hit it and it's the right ship he's yeah. like oh thank god i knew i knew it was the right ship yeah. let's keep firing at it yeah yeah. <clears throat> yeah and i mean you know the other thing they could have done too is you got these two ships right the whole setup is that oh well the tellurides tellurites and the uh, andorians are going to get together we sent one ship to do it well that didn't work well what if we send both ships at the same time in different directions, one going towards Andoria or whatever, and the other one going towards Taloria or mm-hmm. whatever. The, you know what I mean? It's like the super, the Superman 1978 thing where he fires sure. two missiles in opposite directions, so Superman has to pick which one to go to. Right. And the Enterprise can't be in two places at once, so they got to pick one to go after. And so now they got the the they get the telepathy girl who like it's like okay we have we can save one of these groups of people unless the telepathy girl can get through to her brother. Right. And then it's like, up. Oh, it, it fries her brain. She can't do it. Shit. Okay, we have to make a decision here. A bunch of people are going to die. Uh, but hopefully we can stop this from getting any, you know, we can save some people instead of nobody. And then the girl gets in the thing and then, you know, they the, gets, gets through to her brother and the brother takes the two shit. Like, was there anything, like, dumber in this than having both of those ships flying at each other shooting I at know. each other he's shooting flying both other. ships <laughs> just have him turn and blast each- why are they flying away like they're <laughs> dog fighting <laughs> i know just have them stand still yeah i <clears throat> i don't know i didn't i didn't really find the 
Enar twin lover, brother, sister story, whatever it is to be, it was not novel at all. Like it's completely predictable as to what this is going to be down to the fact that he has to die because you know that there's no way they can rescue him because he's on Romulus. So there's nothing you can do. He's fucked. He's got to get shot. He does get shot. I like I the I just thought his motivation was fairly bad also, where they tell him that he's dead it, or something and then he's like, Well, I might as well just kill everybody because everybody's dead. It's like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know why they killed him. Like if I was Brian Thompson, I would have been like, Well, throw him back in the hole until we mm-hmm. can brainwash him again together. You know what I mean? Like yeah, this yeah. is the only one they got. Right. That's <laughs> that's the problem. It's very clear he's the only one they have. <laughs> don't shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> you can reprogram. I mean, apparently they just scrapped this whole program after this this one or two big mishaps happened yeah. on Romulus. But. Never happens again. That poor poor yeah. poor uh, foresight from their for their perspective. What did you think of those twins in their storyline? Not twins. They call yeah. them twins, but they're the brother and sister. Yeah, that, right? siblings. It was it was it was fine. It, it was. Um, I don't know. I thought the her talking to shran was a nice scene but it ultimately didn't really mean anything uh especially because for for i feel like doesn't shran talk about how this the the woman that he was uh, having a relationship with it was like fairly new like yes it was like they were they've been lovers for years or something (laughs) like this not that i mean losing a loved one is always hard but you know yeah uh, time yeah, and time is always I, between losing a parent or losing a girl you met the, the day before. They're equally equally traumatic yeah. to you, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was fine. I, like it didn't. I think it's it, it served its purpose fine. Um, I actually <clears throat> did like the scene where she gets through to him, and they're doing that sort of like uh, Iron Man heads up display camera yes. thing. Yep. That was kind of, I like that seeing the two of them talk to like I she was a good enough actress that she was I, good she was good yeah I bought the fact that her getting through to him was like a really big deal like she was super happy and hadn't talked to him yeah and that she was getting to say goodbye I thought I I, I think I thought that played really well um but yeah the plot line itself yeah. I think fine, it's a misfocus I, I, I would I don't want to spend time with her I think that the brother is the more interest, interesting Enar character. If 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 you had shown his mistreatment at the hands of the Romulans to really sell his sacrifice at the end is kind of like an escape from this like torturous life or whatever, but it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't really come across that way. Um, last thing before we're done, tripping to Paul, which had become mm-hmm. the B plot, the du jour B plot. Um, Always now it seems to be the only B plot. I um I think the last time we saw them was the one where they had their awkward breakup at the very end of the episode where Trip seemed happy, or at least he's like, Yeah, whatever, whatever's gonna happen. And Tapal said she had to read the Kershara and she couldn't be together with him now. Mm-hmm. Now it comes mm-hmm. to this. I'm super conflicted about this because we're on record saying that we like the melodrama stuff that enterprise tends to do and the smallness of their relationship is kind of refreshing even if it seems that the show is not always certain what it wants to do with them except for kick the ball Mm -hmm. kick the can down the road so Mm -hmm. here trip has now 
gone from being totally cool to realizing that he's head over heels for T'Pol and he can't work on the same ship with her there. And the episode ends with, after he talks to Flox and Flox is like, oh, you just got to rub one out and get back to work. And then he, he goes into Archer's room and he says, I can't stay on the ship. And Archer says, why? Mm-hmm. He says, I have to go. And he starts getting misty eyed and Archer's like, what the, the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and he says, Captain, are you going to let me go? He says, all right, I guess. So what's funny about it to me is that the ending scene is completely ruined, in my opinion, because the only reason Trip can't tell Archer is because it's extremely embarrassing, right? There's no reason other than the fact that this is an embarrassing thing to be so hung up on that he can't tell him. Well, I I think Archer already knows, doesn't he? Because he said he talked to talked to flocks so i assume that i assumed that meant he w- filled in was filled in as to what's going no, on. no he talked to flocks and, about the um there's some made-up problem that trip says when he walks in and he says if i had noticed this if i was paying more attention uh it, it wouldn't have happened and archer says flocks told me it doesn't matter at all like nothing you did to cause anything wrong to me there's no indication that archer is oh. aware of what's going on in that scene Oh, because I I was watching that scene, reading it as Archer knew exactly what was going on. They just weren't gonna mention it because it's because Trip is trying to transfer in a paperwork filed paperwork by the book way without bringing up the fact that he's doing it because he's in love with his crewmate. What would stop Archer from um, bringing it up so, then that he knows, or at least hinting at like Trip? The hell are you talking? <laughs> like why? Like this is. So this is the problem I mean, of the I kinda, melodrama of a teenage relationship bashing into military command structure. It, it's it's now it's become a problem where it's like to me the only reason Trip can't say the honest reason or that it has to be hidden is because this is extremely embarrassing that a grown ass man mm-hmm. can't get over this and can't just do his job on a like a military vessel for lack of a better yeah. I don't know I I didn't really read it that way because I I I. I thought that it made sense to me that they that they were playing it as subtext versus flat out talking about it. Um, <clears throat> I I didn't really think they needed to talk about it because again, like I said, I I read the scene that Archer knew what was going on, but he wasn't just they weren't just directly talking about it, but they were mm-hmm. kind of having their uh, uh, workplace conversation with a strong undercurrent of friend conversation without fully dipping into the friend conversation. I could be completely wrong. I don't yeah. know. Well, I mean, and, and when, yeah. when Archer finds out, maybe he's going to go, what? <laughs> I, I just, I'd be interested. So much. I'd be interested to watch it. And so do you think it was just incredibly, is there any subtext to what Archer is saying that made you feel that, that he was aware or you thought it was just in the performance of what it is? I just, I can't remember a line that would imply to me that Archer is like, Trip, I know what's going on here. Are you sure well, this is was, what you want to do? I thought it was the performance, and I also I, I thought there was some. I can't remember exactly what he says. Yeah, but yeah. I thought there was some dialogue towards the end of it where he was like, you know, it's your career, but as your friend, I'm saying maybe you don't need to do this or blah, you know, like yeah. I, I thought I, f- I felt like it was the, again, maybe I'm totally wrong. No, that's interesting. Um, I wonder what, I wonder what the listeners are going to say uh, down below yeah. what they think is going on here, because I, I can understand that as your friend, 
I guess I read that as Archer because Archer and Trip are best friends. Like it's been written that way. It really just felt more to me that Archer didn't want to lose his guy. I, I think mm-hmm. that the thing that causes this a lot of problem for me is that if this was a TNG era show where there are hundreds of ships that Trip can go to, I would say mm-hmm. a transfer doesn't seem that bad to me. But yeah, they <laughs> literally yes. only have they only have one other ship that he would go to. Yeah. yeah. So it comes across as extremely like trip. I can't let the, you're obviously the best engineer because they hired you for this job. I can't lose you. So fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah. You're not getting transferred and you're going to stay here. Sorry about that. You know? Yeah. I, when he, when he came in and asked for the transfer, I actually said out loud to where, right? Because <laughs> I just didn't Columbia. even remember that there was a second <laughs> ship. Yeah. And it's one of those it's one of those uh, uh, positioning things where it's like, are they close to that other ship? Like, are they gonna? Ha- I mean, I guess they're not really on a mission that an extended mission. They can just go back to space dock or whatever, and he could switch off. But I, you know, yep. I, I don't even know how far away the Columbia is. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I, I do think it's it is a little awkward because of that reason and because yeah you would think that two friends who are best friends could talk about that out in the open but i don't know i honestly don't know if that would make the scene better if they talked about it out in the open Um, i don't want them talking about it at all i think this is embarrassing i I don't think that he (laughs) needs i don't think he needs to transfer because i i just don't I don't get it. It's too small of a stakes. And like, so how do you feel about this arc in general? I guess this relationship that got us to this point. I, the conversation that he and T'Pol have in this, where he's like, when I was stuck on that thing with, when I was stuck on that ship with Reed, I thought I was going to die. I, I, (laughs) I was hoping when he said, uh, (laughs) I was stuck on that ship with Reed. I thought I was going to die. Has that ever happened to you? I was hoping she would be like, yes, I have also been stuck with Reed somewhere. (laughs) I thought I was going to die. (laughs) Um, but like, I, I, I like that conversation because they're also kind of dancing around it. Cause he's like, you know, it made me think about stuff and she's like, not me. Um, we de- we're on threat like of death every single day. And it's like, well, not exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I liked that conversation. The Archer thing didn't yeah. have that for me, but sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I liked the other scene where he's trying to play it cool and she calls him Trip to get his attention and they mm-hmm. kind of talk a little bit there. I think, <clears throat> I think what was really missing to sell his desire for a transfer and I guess they kind of did this a little bit, but I wish they had done more with it. Like I, I think what was missing was T'Pol really being in grave danger in this. Like she, she sits in the the uh, Daft Punk machine and gets like a minor headache, but aside from that, it's fine. But like it, I, I feel like there needed to be a situation where she almost gets something that would trigger that for him where he's like, I can't do my job right. because I'm caring about what's happening to you in a way I, that is different from the way I care about everybody else. Sure. And it's actually infringing on my ability to do my job that way. I think it sells it a lot more, <clears throat> but this, I don't know if they went far enough to really sell this I, idea that he needs to, he can't focus because he's in love with Duvall. Yeah, I mean, because it's interesting with that, what you're talking about, that kind of like personal 
interpersonal and then workplace relationship is what they do in an episode called Lessons in TNG, which is where Picard falls in love with an underling. And mm-hmm. But the crux there, which I think is very important, is that the conflict comes from Picard having to send loved ones on missions, where T'Pol sure. is Trip superior in this situation. Sure. So there's no... There's no real conflict for Trip. He, he's just kind of upset by what's going on, but it's not that he has to make a choice right, to right. cause her to have damage done to her. I, I, I guess I, I can understand that, and I can understand Trip wanting to leave or not be a part of that situation anymore. And I think that they, the most effective thing they do here is that they do make to Paul ice cold again, which is what yeah, I need yeah. from her. And which makes Trip the emotional, fragile human in this situation, which is, as I've been saying from the start, I think, of their relationship, that's the only way this is interesting to me is that Trip is dealing with someone, a Vulcan, who will not express her emotions to him that way. Right, right. I like that. I think that that's really clever. And I think that they did a good job here by not having T'Pol really go too weak in the knees. And she stands her ground about what she is trying to do and what she believes and what she thinks the right thing to do is. I just end up at this place where the melodrama is too much now at the end. Like it's too, there needs to be a better, more adult way to handle what they're going through. Even if it's just a break up and end the relationship because Trip can't, they don't even really, whatever this relationship is, just a a sort of end to the storyline because Trip can't handle it. I don't need the transfer. I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, I I don't really mind it that much because I do think that this stuff gets get, can get messy, and I mm-hmm. don't think I mean they already did the breakup thing right, <clears throat> and it clearly didn't work because uh, yes. they're both still on the same ship, and and one of them has started thinking about the future now that he's almost died. He you know I don't know why it was that one that did it because he's Trip has been almost dead like yeah. three out of the last four <laughs> episodes I feel like or arcs that we've watched yep. involve Trip almost dying so i don't know why it was being stuck on the ship that was the one that really stuck yeah um like so i don't i don't mind it i think the messiness of it is fine uh because i i don't feel like that's unrealistic um but yeah i think if they're gonna if they're gonna do this i think i would have been nice if they had leaned into it and really given trip a reason to be like okay i can't be here i can't do this yeah like if he had actually done something wrong instead of made up or like you know pointed out a a tiny detail that he fucked up because his head wasn't in the right place like if he'd actually missed something that was consequential yeah and he was like all right i can't i can't do this this is is actively getting in the way of what i'm doing that's that's fair if he had caused an accident in this episode i would more understandably so if he had actually caused something, right, and some people got killed, and at the end, Archer was starting to reprimand him about a lack of focus, right? Not this Archer's buddy mm-hmm. buddies with people, but he's like, Trip, I don't know what you're doing out there. People are getting hurt. It's like, you got to get your head on straight. I don't, I, like, he doesn't even have to be aware of the situation, but just reprimand him. At that point, Trip is in an interesting position where the transfer request makes a little bit more sense to me because sure 
it makes more sense because it's Trip realizing that he is causing damage and he's actually helping people. Where where this fails is it comes across as Trip being a complete wuss about stuff who is yeah. just running yeah. from his troubles. And there's nothing really narratively interesting about that. And it makes Trip seem weak. It makes them seem immature. It makes it just seem like this the first warp five starship is just kind of a joke where the best people can't be there because they fall in love or something like that. That I think that's right, really right. damaging to what the show is trying to be at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. I think like, uh, yeah, I think they just needed to, um, take a stronger stand with, with the way that they're playing this. Uh, cause they are, cause they are kind of being noncommittal, um, in how they're handling this stuff, uh, a lot of back and forth. is not the right word. Well, th- th- I yeah, think it's, I th- think it's the right word. They they never choose what these guys are with each other. They've they've had variations of what this relationship is for the past twenty episodes. Well, I don't think that that is the problem as much as it's not. They're not using it to tell stories, really. It's just sort of like a background thing that is its own thing that is the melodrama for the sake of melodrama and doesn't really play into any larger stories that are being told too much. Right, yeah. Um, and I think having having something where they, they push it a little further and be like, okay, if this is going to be a problem, let's make it a problem instead of you know, this is the light the light problem story that we have in the background for the two characters that we want to see kiss but haven't kissed in a while, you know? Yeah. Yeah, in general, I find this... Like, um, I don't know. I I don't know how much of Cheers you've watched, mm-hmm. but uh, after we watched the first, the pilot, I, I watched through the whole series. There is an episode of Cheers. I think it's towards the end of the first season where Sam and Diane scream at each other and it ends with Sam slapping her in the face, mm-hmm. and it's like, holy shit! <laughs> I was not, ex- I was not expecting this, you know, coy workplace romance to end up in a like a drunken argument Violence. that ends with one of them hitting the other one. You know, <laughs> and I'm not saying they need to go that far because <laughs> arguably in Cheers, maybe they didn't need to push it that far. Mm-hmm. But. But you know, at least they're committing to the bit and being like, "All right, Equal if we're going to do this, yeah." Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> if if we're going to do this, let's make it an issue. Let's make it a story point. Let's do something with it, and not just have it be this sort of like, you know, confectioner's sugar on the top of the other stuff we're doing. Sure, I'd agree with that. We'll have time to talk about the, their relationship as a whole, but I guess we're done with that episode. I think we covered everything. Unless you got something else you want to say, some note that I didn't bring up that you want to talk about now. Nope, I think I'm good. Yeah, that's it. It's the ENR. So let's wrap it up. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you for supporting the show by listening. If you want to support the show more, how come A and E? How come A and E has an ampersand, but T and T is an N? It's like, isn't mm-hmm. that confusing? Because mm-hmm. then if it's E, that's E channel, but A and E together means E, but then you got T and T, which is not an answer. How does anybody use TV in the 20th century? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's too many channels. Just go and to And nothing's o. on. Just got to <laughs> have to return some videotapes. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you enjoyed the show and you want to support us 
financially, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to do it. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple of dollars a month, you get extra podcasts. You get some polls to vote on what we talk about. Glenn and Amanda have been doing the Friday the 13th series this year, which is probably just wrapping up now. This will come out in late December. Wrapping so, it up. Yeah, we'll be done with that. Heading back. Heading back uh, to the remake of the original, Friday the 13th. Any other podcasts that are on there? There's like 100 plus podcasts, sci-fi, movies, blah, blah, blah. Good stuff. Check it out if you are so interested and you want to support the show. And as always, our Captain Tier supporters get a special thank you. A special thank you. And I hope you all had a wonderful 2021. I have to start getting prepared, Clay. Now we're so far ahead. The year is going to wrap up. We're going to miss the chance to do all these things. Happy 2021. And very much a uh, very th- a very appreciative thank you to Samuel Custer, Tark Latif, Joint Mango, Andrew Cherlog, Kyle Barrett, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Christian Pouch, Brandon House, Matt Cutler, Michael Pond, Nick Sergey, Grim Santos, Sean, Bradley Killens, Dwayne Hack of Vault 13 Hero, Darth Moss, Kevin Reyes, Jordan Cooper, Russell Elledge, Stephen Minton, HH28, Derek Zajak, Paul Roscoe, Jake123, Nick the Rat, Poindexter G, Patrick Seba, Dave Davies, Captain Brazen, Eric Sanchuan, Jakey's Gamer, Kevin Lowry, William Scheisler, Rayhan Jaffer, Soylent Blue, Zane Majors, Olivier Pardeur, Dizbrada, Retail, Edmark Star, Tom Hickey, Grapple John Zorn, Jose Hunter's EWF Remixes, Captain McMunchausen, James McLennan, Beal Jonas, Tommy Tango, <sighs> Two Vicks Must Die, Chris McLaughlin, and Chase Jackson. Thank you very much, everybody, for supporting the show. It's much appreciated. And uh, now we go to patron comments. That's the part of the show. Had a little bit of a brain meltdown there. This is where patrons at the $5 and up level can leave their thoughts about upcoming episodes on patreon.com slash file, And then we read them and make fun of the people who say silly things. So let me get back to this. Right <laughs> yeah, you dumb idiots. If you want to say something and have no ability to defend yourself against our scathing critique of what you say, this is the place to do it. Kyle Barrett says... It's just roast, roast mode all the time in the patron (laughs) comments section. The Enar. I love this arc, but this episode is a strange change in pace and plot with the galactic stakes done and the more personal journey taking over. I like it, but can't help feeling if they had destroyed the drone last episode, it would have been a great ending, so this one feels unnecessary. Or at least the arc would have been structured differently to add the Enar into the mix, rather than to have it feel like an addendum. I do like the personal drama of the episode, though, both on Romulus, the Enterprise, and Andoria, with Jamel being one of my favorite one-off Enterprise characters. I don't much care for the Lolita romance with Shran, though, who has taken over Mayweather's role of being brutally injured on missions. Three and a half little penis worms out of five. Yeah, this was, uh, I mean, this show, a lot of people get stabbed through the leg and hindered by giant spikes through the leg on this show. Incredibly Uh, dangerous away missions in this show. The most dangerous that have ever ever been yep yeah yeah i don't i mean yeah that sequence is exactly what hurt mayweather that episode where he fell down the hill and broke his leg it's it's exactly the same situation Mm -hmm. so uh yeah roasted matt ross says although to me this is the weakest part of the pre-setup federation arc i like that we finally get more info about the Andorian people and their white asparagus subspecies that seems to have a hell of a construction ability despite being blind i just don't get why the romulans had to come up with this convoluted plan to get a psychic person that seems uh, out of the way the telepresence bs and the ending of the drones was a little silly needing to have more blinky lights and a machine go ping just to be extra cheesy as for the really heavily contrived trip into paul thing it felt so forced that even now i scream what the hell are you doing manny Cotto? three white asparagus spears out of five grapple john zorn says anar who boy shran can't be a white savior if he's blue and the girl is a blind albino right <laughs> 
Why is this episode here? <laughs> Whatever they were trying to say with the Enar could have better been said as a standalone episode. The drone ship, like its crustacean inspiration, starts to stink after the second week, even while refrigerated. If you need five minutes of new exposition, to, new exposition to set up the final episode, well, that puts you in Highlander three territory. Two blindfolded games of strategy, uh, strategy out of five. <laughs> That's a great Highlander three poll there. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to that one on the Patreon. We only did one and two, but maybe we'll no. Uh, we only did one up, and we'll two. Get to three. Yeah. Royo says, yeah, we, once we once we hit what are we at fifteen hundred for for nine hundred yeah, for Voyager? Let's get to we hit fifteen hundred. <laughs> we'll get to Highlander three. We promise. Royo says the Enar, the Romulans are afforded more time for development, and I for one enjoy it. While TNG would show us the Romulans from the Federation's point of view, this trilogy lets the Romulans talk amongst themselves like in Balance of Terror. We begin to understand the Romulans are politically dominated by the precept of unlimited expansion, which drives their every action, which explains a lot. Like in Balance of Terror, you get the impression the political situation in the Empire makes the Romulans their own worst enemies, which helps ground them in reality. Unfortunately, the Ice Cave set that was meant to represent the Andorian homeworld, along with the Enar's philosophy of pacifism, was severely lacking in imagination. Three out of five. I wish at the end of this, when the uh, Romulans were arguing with each other they had cut to the remans and one of them leaned over and went we need a little bald kid to take care of these guys <laughs> yeah the remans didn't have much to say i like i like royo's point about um it, it is seemingly implying that the amount of subterfuge in romulan society is what causes their plans to go awry because it's a lot of politicking uh, like political yeah. well it's, it's kind of it's kind of when you extrapolate out the Klingon culture, right? Yes. Where, yeah. Or no, is uh, not Klingon. Am I thinking Klingon? Am I thinking mirror universe? Uh, I would it's say like it's everybody, more the Klingons, or what yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah. I I guess that for mirror universe, I was just thinking about that Discovery episode where it's just like everybody's constantly trying to kill everybody else to try and get ahead, but it's like how do you have a functioning anything if yeah, you're just yeah. trying to constantly get over on someone else and kill them? Yes. Yep. <clears throat> Brendan Howell says, the Enar are the weakest of the trilogy. The Romulans have a subspecies, so I guess the Andorians must have the same. It's a shame we do not get to know the Enar as a race. For a bunch of blind pacifists, they seem unbelievably powerful. Shran falls in love with Jamel way too quickly. The telepresence, stupid name, seems to have an unbelievably adverse effect on Paul, which may be why she must change her uniform at least five times in the episode. What is it with Shran and Reed both getting stabbed in the leg? The drones firing on each other is underwhelming, and Trip wants a transfer because he cannot bear to be on the same ship as his Vulcan ex-girlfriend. Three swarms of boar worms out of five. Telepresence. Wasn't that uh that was one of the early days internet access things. You get the CDs in the mail, yeah. it's AOL, Netscape, and uh, telepresence, right? Thank you for calling telepresence. How can we set up your online presence? It was a good service. <laughs> The discs in the mail. I wonder how many of those stupid things I made. Um, anyway, that's Man, it. Thank what you, patrons. A, is it? Can you think of a like a more <clears throat> world changing marketing strategy than sending people free internet discs in the mail for like yeah. five years? Basically, <laughs> it, I mean, it changed the world essentially. It did. Yeah. Now it's gone. Never to be. Never to be remembered. AOL. No one. No one's gonna remember AOL. America Online. <laughs> America Online. How does it work? I do. Re I remember being amazed the first time that happened, which is like strange to say the least. But we, when you thought the extent of the internet was like chat rooms on AOL. Anyway, yeah. 
Thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about the Enar. A generally mediocre reception from everybody, a bunch of threes and twos. Um, I did have to say that um, I was doing research about this one, and I, I didn't touch on this point because I'm sure this guy covers it very well, but there's a, a professor, <laughs> I use the term professor loosely, an academic who wrote a book called Gender and Sexuality in Star Trek. Uh, his take on this hmm. is that the Enar, the Enar blindness is an allegory for the way that white people are unable to perceive their own whiteness. <laughs> Which what? is, which is uh, remarkably ahead of its time take, because I think he wrote the book in 2010 or whatever, and this seems like the kind of fucking nonsense that you'd see nowadays. But yeah, the Anar blindness is an allegory for the way that white people, because they're they're white Andorians, they're like, sure, he, he calls them uncanny whiteness characters who provide an denatured form of whiteness to allow the viewer to accept them, whatever that means. But yes, this is this is the Enar they're that uh <laughs> our inability to recognize that we're white i'm looking at myself on the screen i look like a six foot seven black guy but apparently that's not the case i uh i you know generally i'm open to those sorts of interpretations on things uh i don't know how he how you back this that one up with this because you don't have to i don't <laughs> i don't, I don't <laughs> just say it yeah i don't think there's anything like the there it's not like <laughs> they don't have a point of view to be able to latch anything yeah, of any substance right. onto what it they is. They don't have they, a point yeah. of view and they're not presented as being hindered by the fact that they are blind or whatever. Because like, if you're going to say it was a metaphor for white people not being able to perceive their own whiteness, you would think you were doing that in order to show the consequences or pitfalls of that, right? Cuz I mean, sure. Why else do that unless you were going to make a comment on it? Yes. They do not do that in any way in this. Like the Enar are like They're also subjugated. The Enar are the right. minority race in this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. That's interesting take. <laughs> you have to write things when you're an academic. You can't not publish stuff. So you you gotta <laughs> you've gotta churn things out and eventually you run out of stuff to talk about and you end up in this. Kind Maybe of he just had like two columns full on one column it was full of star trek races and the other column it was full of stuff that he decided he wanted to talk about and he was just they they were the last two that he hadn't used yet he kept putting off both of those things he's like ah damn it i get the enar i get the whiteness unrecognized whiteness (laughs) uh okay i guess we're doing this we i get i get 15 pages left in this book i gotta get that <laughs> i mean because the title is gender and sexuality too so he must have just been he's run out of stuff and he's like I'll yeah throw in the I'll throw the enar into this one yeah it was it was interesting i just um it's it's i'm not going to talk about it a lot, but it's it's re- tremendously shocking to me that when i went to college it was always kind of laughing at this idea that a lot of college is just, I don't know how your experience was, but like a lot of college is just prism criticism where you take a class and they go, we're going to look at things through the eye of a lesbian. We're going to look at mm-hmm. things through the eye of the white man. We're going to look at things through the eye of a non-European. We're going to look at the, through the eyes of like homosexuality and stuff like that. And you go, mm-hmm. okay. 
I can understand that this is like a useful thought experiment and it opens your eyes to other perspectives and you start to see things through different and you go like, oh, there's multiple ways to interpret stuff. It is completely beyond me how people come out of college and go, the prism is reality. Like you, you just look at society and you go like, oh, what college taught me was that there's literally only one way to look at something and that that's the only thing because the takeaway from people now is that like it's it's either gender is all the thing or like whatever you can apply through a gender lens or whatever you can apply through a race lens is reality. It's not a way of looking at a situation. It's a you see the truth that other people do not see kind of situation. I just it went for, I don't know how it turned on its head from everyone laughing at being asked to do these exercises to being like now we see the truth of a situation in a way that is more than just a thought experiment. So it's interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's um I think the takeaway from that stuff is meant to be consideration and being considerate of of the opposing not opposing, but uh, opinions other than your own or viewpoints other than your own that you might not be considering because you don't occupy that space. Mm-hmm. Um, which I I don't think is something that you shouldn't take into the real world. Um, I think you most definitely should. Uh, how you apply it seems to vary person to person these days. But uh, um, yeah, I guess that's all well, I mean, I'll just in terms that. of this guy, he, he's he's applying a lens... Yeah. Where I don't understand what's productive about this criticism that you're doing. Right. Like, well, that's the thing. Like, if there's if there's nothing productive about it, then sure. But I mean, like, you're not. If this criticism that this guy is bringing up is not. It's also Star like Trek said, criticism. Like, it's hard to say. Right. <laughs> yeah. Take. Well. Well. Like I said, it's not. There's no. There's no. There's nothing behind it. There's no commentary or thing to take from it. Really from the text because he's applying this idea to this thing that I'm going to say almost definitely was not intentional. Um, and, but that's, that's the fallacy because when you get into that, his response will be, that's because the writers were white and they were incapable of seeing what they were doing. You're like, there, there's no good argument against this point. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because the, the reason that someone who will disagree with me saying that this is not the case will say that I'm exerting, my whiteness by laughing at this ridiculous idea. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I'm in a position of cultural dominance or whatever that like a stupid idea is not actually stupid. I just am incapable of seeing its legitimacy, which mm-hmm. is you just, it's a, it's unfalsifiable. You can't, you can't prove this argument wrong. And that's why it's so annoying to see that it written out this way because it's indefensible and mm-hmm. stupid and like kids kids go to this <laughs> class and read this guy's book or whatever and it's like what is this how did you get this position this guy's making two hundred thousand dollars a year as some professor at some state university it's like this is, this is all garbage this is terrible the only thing you guys need to listen to is our podcast of all these episodes <laughs> oh boy the true one yeah, take, take that out into the real world it's very silly very silly anyway we're done with this one you guys can buy gender and sexuality in the Star Trek universe. I think it was $10. I wasn't willing to buy spend $10 on it to, to read it. But if you're wondering about the Enar, that's where they are. We're done. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show there. It's the best way to do it. 
Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Uh, Wes mentioned we're f- wrapping up Friday the 13th this in December here with the remake, 2009 remake. I'm looking forward to doing uh, the content consumption for this month because I feel like I've got a lot of pos- lot of things to talk about. I've consumed a lot of content. Uh, did you watch? Did you watch any of the Beatles documentary? No, but YouTube recommends me like every moment of it. I think at this mm-hmm. point, so I think I've seen. I'd probably seen three hours of it just by YouTube clips, but I haven't watched any of it by itself. Yeah. Oh man, I loved it. I thought it was it was really interesting. It's it's. Did you finish I, it? I, yeah, I watched the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It's. Uh. I feel like it's gonna play very different for. Um. People who are in creative who are creatives versus people who aren't let's put it that way mm-hmm. uh and so because the stuff that i i think many people would find very boring about it i found endlessly fascinating sure um but yeah it was it was it was really interesting i liked it i liked it a lot it, the the highlight of it for me is uh you actually see they have footage of uh paul mccartney pulling get back out of the ether like he's just fucking around on the base and it's and it this the title says like he was getting he was getting worried that they didn't have enough songs they had to do 14 songs in two weeks or something like that and he was worried he worried they didn't have enough so he was while he was waiting for the other guys to show up he was trying to come up with a new song and he's just you know fucking around on the base and he's just kind of like humming melodies and and not really finding it and you as the viewer you know what the song is and so you're like waiting for it to click. You're waiting for the pieces to put together. And yeah. so it's like I, I found it very entertaining and like tense because I'm watching it going like, <laughs> okay, there it is. You know, you can the creative process of him just fucking around. He's like, like, oh my god, he got it. He got mm-hmm. it. You know, it's it's really it's really <laughs> fascinating to see that that like from zero pulling a song like that which is a, a a classic it's so much more satisfying than any time they've tried to do that in like a, a written movie because those right. always feel so <clears throat> contrived but here you're actually watching real footage of it happening and it's, it is very engaging i thought it was anyway no that was my i mean the thing just from watching the youtube clips that i thought about was that it's funny to, it, it um it like undeifies them in some way Sure. Because it just shows the amount of like how much of it was just kind of sitting around going like, I don't like that. That sounds like garbage. Yeah. How about yeah. you do something there's, else? <laughs> there's an amazing clip. There's an amazing piece where they're working on like uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, Don't Let Me Down or one of the other songs. The, uh, I think it was Don't Let Me Down. And Paul McCartney's like trying to work in these like harmony parts that aren't working and he they, they keep doing it over and over and over again and george harrison keeps going can we get like a tape recorder because they didn't have like a tape recorder like just like an eight track that they could record and listen back to it yeah he's like yeah if we could can we get a tape recorder and they keep working on the stuff and paul McC- and it does not sound good yeah and paul is like really into it and he's trying to find tune he's like yeah okay i think i think there we go and then george is like listen if we had a tape recorder and you listened to that back, you would say it's terrible right away and we would cut it immediately. So yeah. we need to get a tape recorder because that's trash and we need to stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's the most interesting part of it to me. Um, I, I was just, I was kind of, I obviously haven't seen it, but I was unfamiliar with their personalities in a way. Like they exist outside of me knowing them as real people. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But it's just funny. It's like Lennon's clearly just stoned out of his gourd and is kind of like the dry, oh, sarcastic he seems, one. He seems insufferable. Like, Oh, really? Yeah. It's just like, I'm sure it's the drugs, but I'm sure it's his personality as well. But it's like, it seemed impossible to get a straight answer out of him that wasn't yeah. some sort of snide remark, joke, or like obscure reference that only an <laughs> English person from the 40s would understand. Yeah, he just he he strikes me as the one as the kind of person who would say a lot of jokes and a lot of it would just kind of slide under people's acknowledgement of what it was. Right, right. Um, yeah. Ringo seems shockingly quiet in what I've seen. Like he seems he like he seems happy to be out. there. Yeah. Yeah, he just had, had to be happy to be there, but you'd think with his name being Ringo and his kind of modern persona being one of the two remaining alive Beatles that he's like an energetic kind of goofball. But the clips I've mm-hmm. seen, he's just sitting there, just like waiting for them to stop arguing with each yeah. other. He is. I, and he I was isn't. surprised like, by how he, petty Harrison was too. And you can comment on that. But Harrison seems fed up with it at that point and not particularly pleasant to be around. Yeah, I think it, I think that what I took away from it was that he 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 was just coming into his own more as a songwriter and this those sessions particularly because they are under this intense pressure uh, McCartney is really trying to steer the ship at the beginning like he's really trying to uh just get things moving and craft some stuff and I think Harrison was just pissed just a, sick of being told what to do yeah um and being not not being like really considered because it was just he's just he kind of just has a break and be like, listen, if you want me to pl- tell me what you want me to play and I'll play it or I won't play anything at all. Like he just got fed up with the indecisiveness, but also like the uh, the uh, um, pickiness, well, I think McCartney yeah. was was putting on everything. Yeah. So it's it's a really it's a really interesting dynamic. I'll check it out at some point. Maybe That's another one. But That's another one, too, where it's like he comes in. George shows up and he's like, you know. I was watching this movie, this sci-fi movie last night at like 2 a.m. And he like has this like long story that has nothing to do with anything. And he's like, then I just picked up the guitar and kind of started playing this. And he just plays the entirety of I, Me, Mine, which mm-hmm. he like just brings the song that he wrote last night is fully formed. and is just one of the great George Harrison Beatles song. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yep. I give it a check. It's just so long. That's a lot of TV. It is. It um, is. It's very long. I guess that's it. You'll be finishing the thing on Patreon Friday the 13th. Uh, don't think there's much else. Badass is on a little bit of hiatus. The other shows are continuing. Yeah, I guess we're done. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening and supporting the show. We'll be back with the next episode, which I think is Affliction, which is the start of a Klingon arc. Let me make sure it is Affliction, and it is indeed a Klingon arc. So we'll have a chance to compare and contrast the Klingons with the Andorians. We're done. We'll see you later.